Good morning, church. Before I read from the passage, uh, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we read and listen to your word, and as Pastor Joseph expound on your word, may we, may we, may we be encouraged by the truth in your word. Grant us ears to listen and hearts to obey, and thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. I shall be reading from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34, reading from the NIV. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had, sent, who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because... He was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Very good morning to all of you and to those who are joining us online. The Lord be with you. Now today is the start of Holy Week in the Christian calendar. Holy Week commemorates the last week of uh, Jesus' life on earth. And it begins with Palm Sunday. And you will notice the palms, uh, palm leaves as you walk through the doors. Um, it, will, it begins with Palm Sunday when Jesus entered Jerusalem in preparation for the Passover festival. And four days later, on Monday, Thursday night, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper by which we are to remember him for his great love for us. And he was then betrayed and arrested. And the next day on Good Friday, he was unfairly tried and crucified. But Jesus did not remain dead. On Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead and his resurrection changed the world. And even today, Jesus' resurrection continues to make an impact on all, on all believers transforming them into God's new and holy people. And so we commemorate all the momentous events uh, during Holy Week. 
And so I want to encourage all of you to be there for the Tenebrae service on Monday, Thursday evening. If you have not, uh, if you have not attended a Tenebrae service, uh, just join us this Thursday. Uh, and you will be spiritually refreshed and your love for the Lord Jesus Christ will grow. And so bring your family and friends and also join us for the Good Friday and Easter service as well. And it will be a great time of rejoicing at what God has done for us uh, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Now for this morning of Palm Sunday, uh, we remember that Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing that he would be the sin-bearer on Good Friday. And so it is timely for us to continue the study of John's Gospel uh, to learn how Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, was given the title, The Lamb of God Who Takes Away the Sin of the World. Uh, you may remember from last Sunday that the Apostle John began his Gospel <clears throat> with the prologue in which he introduced Jesus as the Word who was with God and who was God. And the Word became, became flesh. And so Jesus is not only human, fully human, Jesus is also fully God. Jesus is God incarnate. And you may ask the question, why does God want to take on a human form? Well, in some religions, uh, there are accounts of God's taking on human form in order to uh, do an impossible task. Or they take on the human form to defeat an evil force, or even to have a physical relationship with mortals. But Christianity, but Scripture tells us that God takes on human form in order to die for human sin. God has come to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so it is logical that after the prologue, John would introduce Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away <clears throat> the sin of the world. Excuse me. Right, and, and it happened during the ministry of John the Baptist. So we read uh, in verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Now a delegation from the Jewish authority in Jerusalem has been sent to investigate John the Baptist and his ministry. And so you may be asking what is going on here. Now, suppose you begin campaigning as a candidate in the coming election and you are proving to be popular and people are flocking to hear you speak. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because you speak to their hearts. But you are neither a member of the incumbent party nor the opposition party. And <clears throat> if you are in that position, you can expect the authorities and the news people to send delegations to find out more about you and what you are up to. So in the same way, the religious authorities wanted to find out who John the Baptist is. For he, he is unknown to them. And yet crowds of people are flocking to him 
for he is speaking to their need for repentance. And he is baptizing them by the river Jordan. And the authorities are concerned about John's baptism because in the Jewish tradition of that day, baptism is usually self-administered. And it is usually self-administered in the home. And so people would baptize themselves for one of two reasons. One, if a Jew wants to be cleansed of some kind of defilement. Two, if a Gentile wants to convert to Judaism. So these are the two reasons that people would seek baptism. But here is John the Baptist. He is baptizing people in public by the River Jordan. And we know from the Synoptic Gospels, we learn that John's baptism is a call to the people to repent of their sins in preparation for the coming of God's Messiah. And according to some Jewish tradition, it is believed that when God's Messiah comes, he would baptize people. And so you can understand why the religious delegations have come to investigate um, John. And so when they confront uh, John, asking him if he is the Messiah, we read in verse 20, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. So John is quick to deny that he is the Messiah. Well, if John is not the Messiah, maybe he's Elijah, because in the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, uh, it was prophesied that Elijah would appear before Messiah comes. Again, John denies <clears throat> that he is Elijah. And the delegation then asks if he might be the prophet. Uh, this prophet is not any Old Testament prophet. Uh, it's the prophet with a capital P. Uh, this is the prophet that Moses told the people of Israel that God would one day send. And this prophet would be like a messianic uh, figure, and he would speak uh, God's word to the people. Again, John denies that he is the prophet. So John says he's not a prophet, he's not, the, he's not Elijah, and he's not the um, Messiah. So out of desperation, uh, the delegation demanded an answer from him, saying, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Then John answered them in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now John is quoting from chapter 40 of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Now Isaiah prophesied that the, Babel, that the Babylonian exile of the Jewish people would one day end and the Israelites would be able to return to Jerusalem. And God himself will lead the people back to Jerusalem. And so the call is, make, is made to improve the desert road, linking Babylon to Jerusalem. And hills will be leveled, valleys will be filled up, bands will be straightened to facilitate the return of the Jews from exile, with God 
leading the way. So you can imagine this, this scenario. So this is the imagery of Isaiah's prophecy. And by identifying himself as the voice in the wilderness, John is saying that Isaiah's prophecy is being fulfilled in a new way. And he is going to be the workman building the road for God to come. John says God is coming in the person of the Messiah, his chosen king, to deliver his people, not from exile in Babylon, but from slavery to sin. And God's people, God's Messiah, will lead his people into the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth. And so John's role is to build the road for the Messiah to come. That is who I am, John tells the delegation. I am the road builder. Well, the delegation which included the Pharisees then asked John, if you are only the road builder, why are you going about baptizing people? John gives the Pharisees the reason. Look at uh, his response in verse 26. John says, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Now, John the Baptist does not seem to be explicitly answering the Pharisees' question. But we know that by quoting, uh, by saying all those words, and we know that uh, from uh, what John says further in the text, uh, the reason that he comes baptizing, uh, we can say that John's response in verse 26 to the Pharisees is a three-part answer. Okay, The first part is that John is saying that his baptism is a baptism of repentance. And repentance is the condition necessary to prepare for the coming of God's Messiah. And so John is calling people to repentance. And he is baptizing people with water to prepare them to receive the coming of God's Messiah. So that's the first thing he's saying to the Pharisees. Two, the coming Messiah is already in their midst. It is just that the people and the religious leaders are, for the moment, kept from recognizing him. And three, but John knows who the coming Messiah is. Now, John will in a moment tell us how he knows that Jesus is the Messiah, but here he tells us that I know who the Messiah is, and John says he is not worthy to untie the straps of Jesus' sandals. So what is John trying to say when he says he is not, un- he is not worthy to untie the straps of Jesus' sandals? Well, in John the Baptist's time, uh, the disciples of a teacher or a rab- rabbi have to take care of the physical needs of their teacher. 
they have to make arrangements for accommodation as the rabbi travels from town to town. And the disciples have to organize meals for the rabbi. But there is one thing that the disciples are not expected to do for the teacher. Uh, they are not expected to untie the rabbi's shoelaces. That task belongs to the household slaves. And so by saying that John, uh, John by saying that he is not worthy to untie Jesus' shoelaces, uh, John is saying that he is of lower rank than a household slave. Now why would John the Baptist relegate himself lower than a slave? Well, it is because he doesn't want the delegation and the people to focus on him. Already there's much attention uh, uh, sort of drawn to him, but he wants to divert his attention to Jesus. He wants the people and the delegation to look to Jesus as the Messiah. After all, John is the voice in the wilderness calling people's attention to the coming Messiah. He is the road maker, preparing people to receive the coming of King Jesus. So John doesn't want to draw any attention to himself. His mission is to direct people to Christ Jesus. And as John would later say in chapter 3, Jesus must become greater and he must become less. So such is the humility of John the Baptist. And here is a very important lesson for all of us here in church, especially for pastors. We are all unworthy to untie Jesus' shoelaces. Yet pastors can be consumed with personal ambition. We can be consumed with personal glory. We want to be the centre of our ministry. We want to be elevated, to be put on the pedestal. And we may use others to build ourselves up. And so we harbour wrong motives. We want people to come to church to listen to our preaching. We want the church to grow in big number so that we can have a success story to tell and to sell. And we want to be great in the eyes of others but we must resist the temptation. Because to be great in the eyes of others is the way of the world. It is not the way of the church. So we must put to death the pride in us. We must put to death the desire to be great in the eyes of others. And we must learn the humility of John the Baptist. It's just not only the pastors, it is also all of us, the congregation as well. We all must consciously avoid boasting about ourselves and we must avoid self-exaltation. And we are always to direct people's attention away from us and point them to Jesus. And so at TGCC, we want to be all about Jesus. Our programs, our music, and our preaching will point to the greatness and the glory of Jesus. And we want people 
to see us as humble road builders so that they join us because they can follow Jesus, they can worship Him, and they can grow in Him. Uh, that is who we want to be. We want to be, the peop- we want to be people who always put Jesus first in our lives. And when others see us, they too will be motivated to do the same, to make Jesus become greater and we ourselves become less. So let us get back to John the Baptist and learn how he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. But first he tells us that Jesus is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at uh, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if John were to make this announcement to a modern crowd, uh, they would probably have difficulty understanding what the Lamb of God is about. However, the Jews of John's day would have no difficulty at all They are familiar with the idea of the substitutionary sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament. And this idea was first recorded in Genesis chapter 22, uh, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. And at the last moment, before Abraham could plunge down the ninth, God called out his name, Abraham, Abraham, and stopped him. And God then provided a substitute lamb, a ram caught in the bush. And then there is the Passover lamb in the book of Exodus when Israel was in Egypt. And you may remember the story on the night before Israel was delivered out of Egypt. God instructed his people to kill a lamb without blemish and apply its blood on the doorpost. And when God comes in judgment to take, to, uh, when God comes in judgment to every household to take the life of the firstborn, and He sees the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, He will pass over the judgment, and the firstborn is spared on account of the substitute Passover lamb. And finally, there is a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 um, tells us that the suffering servant of the Lord, who is also the Messiah, will be led like a lamb to the slaughter to pay for the sins of many. And so John the Baptist may have this prophecy of Isaiah in mind when he made the announcement. And by identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God, John is making it very clear that God himself is providing the Lamb as the substitutionary atonement for sin. Not only for the sin of Israel, but for the sin of the whole world. So Jesus the Messiah would go on to the cross and be the sacrifice for humanity's sin. And God's judgment on our sin will fall 
on Jesus. And we are spared. We are saved. We are forgiven. And we are reconciled to God. So this is the good news of the gospel. And we will hear more of this good news on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But for now, we know that this good news is for all of us. Because we are all sinful. And we all struggle with the guilt of sin, don't we? Friends, it does not matter what your sin is. Lying, lusting, stealing, gossiping, greed, sexual immorality, all this. And you may think you are the worst sinner. Uh, you think you may have committed some very bad and evil thing. Uh, no matter how wicked you have been, the Lamb of God will cover you. His blood will take away your sin. And as the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, Jesus' blood will remove your sin. You may ask, what must I do then to have Jesus take away my sin? Well, John the Baptist gives us the answer. We need two baptisms. We need two baptisms. Not literally, but figuratively. So let me explain. The first baptism we need is John's baptism with water, which is repentance. And the second baptism we need is Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit, which is God's power in our lives. So look at the verses 32 to 34. Sorry. There's something wrong there? Okay, let me read that. Uh, verses 32 to 34. Then, God, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now God's chosen one is the Messiah. And so John the Baptist here tells us how he knows that Jesus is the Messiah. Now from the other synoptic Gospels, we know that John and Jesus are cousins. And so John had baptized Jesus sometime earlier. And up to that point, John did not know that Jesus was the Messiah. But at the baptism, God revealed to John that the person on whom the Holy Spirit rests and remains is the Messiah, who in turn will baptize others with the Holy Spirit. And so it was that John saw the Holy Spirit descending from heaven as a dove and remained on Jesus, indicating that Jesus was now filled permanently with the Spirit. 
Now, this supernatural sign that John saw um, was not a random sign. It was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It was the fulfillment of two Old Testament prophecies. One, the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would be filled with the Spirit. And Jesus was filled with the Spirit at his baptism. Two, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied that in future, God's people would have the Spirit poured out on them. And we now know that Jesus, filled with the Spirit, will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. Jesus brought about, the Pente- uh, about Pentecost, and he now pours out the Holy Spirit on God's people. And so, we come to the answer again on what we must do to have Jesus take away our sin. First, we must repent of our sin. As John's baptism indicated, repentance is the condition to prepare us to receive Jesus the Messiah. Now, repentance is not just being sorry for the wrong and the bad things we have done. Repentance means we must leave our sinful lifestyle. We must turn away from our sin and leave them behind. So we must stop lying. We must stop stealing. We must stop lusting. Whatever sin we are guilty of, we must leave that sinful lifestyle. And second, we must come to Jesus. After repenting, we must come to Jesus and be, and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to stay away from our sinful lifestyle. Now, many Christians make the mistake thinking that they can keep sin at bay in their own strength. But if you're honest, we cannot. We just cannot. And so we need the Holy Spirit's help to help us overcome sin and temptation. And we need Jesus' baptism of the Holy Spirit. So baptism of the Holy Spirit is not evidenced by the speaking in tongues, as is being wrongly taught in some Christian circles. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by your power to say no to sin and say no to worldliness and say yes to godliness. It is evidenced by your commitment to love and serve others inside and outside the church. So brothers and sisters, is Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away your sin? If you are unsure, come to Jesus. Repent and be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will not only know the forgiveness in your head, but you will also experience the reality in your hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your word that speaks truthfully to all of us. We were dead in sins, and deserving your judgment. But you sent your son Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
We lift our voices to glorify Jesus and we sing, Worthy is the Lamb to receive all glory, power and honour and praise. And we are grateful that because of Jesus, we are now made alive to love you and to love our neighbours as ourselves. So grant us the power of your Holy Spirit so that we will say no to our sinful past life and say yes to the new life of holy living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.